0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast. I'm your host, David Michael, and I'm hanging out with Mo Dingo, what up? trip Turlington, Yo. and the one and only Tony DeSero. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, it is Memorial Day, and when I think of Memorial Day, besides the obvious holiday reasons, the reasons to observe the day, I also tend to think about Detroit and techno, because of how close we are to yes. the movement festival this yes. time of year. So I thought it would be cool to do a sort of spotlight or special oh. on the iconic Belleville Three, the inventors of techno mm. music, or those who have been credited with creating what we know as Detroit techno. Yeah.
1: Send all hate mail to David at PassionateDJ.com. <laughs> yeah, Start it now, right? Uh,
0: you know, not meant to be. Well, like, actually, uh, David. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The first techno song was technically. Yeah. Now, we're not going to try to make this like the comprehensive guide to the origins of techno or anything. More of a spotlight and, and highlight of these guys. Homage and, and, of, yeah, of, what of their contributions. Yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah. absolutely. So uh, I just pulled a little clip for or a little uh, quote from Wikipedia here just for those who are not familiar with who we're talking about here. The Belleville three are Juan Atkins, Derek May, and Kevin Saunderson. Saunderson. Are the three Detroit-based musicians credited with inventing the musical style known as Detroit techno. May famously described the Detroit sound he helped create as being like, quote, George Clinton and Kraftwerk stuck in an elevator. (laughs) Kevin Saunderson was born in Brooklyn, and at the age of nine, he moved to Michigan, where he attended Belleville High School, which was in a town 30-some miles from Detroit. There he befriended Derek May and Juan Atkins, both of whom had been born in Detroit but later moved to Belleville. The three were among the few black students in their high school. The location of Belleville was key to the formation of the Belleville Three as musicians. Because the town was still, quote, pretty racial at the time, according to Saunderson, we kind of gelled right away. The rural setting afforded a different setting in which to experience the music. He says, we perceive the music differently than you would if you encountered it in dance clubs. We'd sit back with the lights off and just listen to records by Bootsy and Yellow Magic Orchestra. We never took it as just entertainment. We took it as serious philosophy, recalls May. The three teenage friends bonded while listening to an eclectic mix of music like Kraftwerk, Parliament, Prince, B-52s. The electronic and funk sounds that influenced the Belleville Three came primarily from a five-hour late-night radio show called the Midnight Funk Association, and we are going to talk about that here in one of these clips that I'm going to play for you. Pretty interesting stuff. So I want to jump into, just to uh, get a, a feel for the sound that we're talking about here, play a clip of Model 500's No UFOs. That's Juan Atkins' uh, moniker, and it's called No UFOs. It sounds like this. to me oh yeah you know kind of that, that almost the, the egyptian, egyptian lover, lover. yeah
1: person mm-hmm. came to my yeah. mind that's exactly it almost sounded what I like thinking. him in there yeah.
0: yeah so uh that was uh, model 500 like i said juan atkins he began recording under that name in 85 um, and that's when he founded the metroplex label I pulled a a bunch of interview clips from these guys talking, you know, off YouTube and and different things. And one of the ones that I pulled was uh, it was this place called the the Museum of Contemporary Art Detroit, so MOCAD for short. And they kind of did like a panel discussion there. And it was on May twenty May twenty eighth, twenty sixteen. So I'm assuming it was during Movement, and they scooped him up and and got him on the stage. Um, And so they kind of talk in this clip about, uh, they just kind of describe their musical
2: influences. You know, I can't say I was interested in much of anything when it came to music. It was Juan that that opened my eyes to the whole concept of what music was. I was listening to, I was a kid listening to Elton John records, you know, that was my thing. And a little bit of the Ohio Players. And then along came Juan and a whole world opened up. That was at the tender age of 13. How'd you get your musical upbringing,
3: Juan? A large part of my influence came from Electrifying Mojo, which uh, it's a shame he couldn't be here. Uh, you know, Hopefully we'll get him to speak on one of these occasions. Electrifying Mojo was a DJ that came on FM when FM was like just still starting out. I mean, I think it was only two other radio stations on FM Dow. He appeared on WGPR, which was 107.5 right around 1977. And what was so beautiful about his show and about him is that he was able, I mean, it was real, the format was real loose. I mean, it was, it was only three FM stations. So it was like they didn't care what was being played because they didn't think nobody was listening. But you know, they had a whole city was listening.
2: And Detroit was a test market as well. A lot of people don't realize that in Detroit, it was like a, so many of these kind of experimental radio stations coming up, WLBS was another one. And these stations were popping up out of nowhere. WDRQ would have like a different format every six months. And we were kids growing up in that environment. So we had a chance to sort of um, be uh, indoctrinated with so many styles, so many genres, so quickly, you know, and with with no particular boundaries attached. So we didn't grow up with the idea that we were supposed to like a certain kind of music. Being black, we should like black music. We didn't grow up that way. We didn't even know that mentality existed. You know, not, not amongst this musical sort of moment. There, there are other black kids, of course, at that time, that have a whole nother experience. But Mojo and all the radio stations going on at the time and all the experiments happening here really gave us um, a, a, a completely different experience. How did that affect you, Kevin?
4: Well, New York was very, uh, it, was still, it was four on the floor. It was uh, very disco-oriented. Uh, I used to like Shaka Kong, uh, uh, Chic, you know, uh, stuff like that. So um, WBLS is one of the stations I used to listen to in New York. And I used to go back every summer, I had family there. So I was always, my ear was always to the four on the floor, and really close to disco. And, you know, Shaka Khan and stuff like that, as, as, even as I evolved and started getting more into music. And I didn't really know Derek and Juan, Derek to me. We met because we played football together. We went to the same school, but we also played football together. And that's how we, we, uh, our friendship started developing. So uh, the station here, w, was LBS, WLBS here. I used to listen to that as well, you know, uh, because I, it, it, met, it reminded me of New York. Now, as I got around, Derek, Derek actually moved in with me in high school. So I really wasn't musically connected in any kind of way besides when I went over Juan's house. I seen a few gadgets, a couple of different tape machines, stuff like that. But when I started, Derek moved in with me. That's when I kind of connected to Mojo. I didn't even know about Mojo until Derek was like. What are you doing? I said I'm going to bed. I got to go to school. We got to get up and go to school tomorrow. He say it's time for the Midnight Punk Association. I had no clue what he was talking about. So that's how um, I started listening to Mojo through Derek, and and you know I kind of just follow path, And I you know Mojo amazed me because he played albums. He played Prince, of course. He played Parliament Funkadelic. He played all kinds of B-52s. And I said, this was music I wasn't listening to. So I didn't find out about that until that moment.
3: And just just to pick up on that a little bit, since we were talking about these new radio stations coming in and Detroit being a proving ground, you had the, the Disco DRQ and WLBS. And when these stations popped up, they put DJs on. And one of the DJs that we can't forget that was on WDRQ, was Ken Collier. And that was the first time that I heard it, her records being blended on beat together. And when I heard his show, I said, damn, I gotta learn how to do that. This is like, and so that was my main inspiration to start DJing. So one of
0: the, the fascinating thing I think about that clip is like, that's the longest clip I'm gonna play, by the way, it's like four and a half minutes. The rest are shorter, but in that whole four and a half minutes that all their answers centered around radio DJ is where we get our influence, from, right, right? radio DJs. And first of all, I think that's kind of lost now. It's oh, kind yeah, of a lost art, but
5: especially because, and not to cut you off, yeah, but um, especially because everything is so programmed and formatted, and I, and I think there was always like some level of that, you know. It, but there was so much autonomy for, you know, personalities to be able to have some freedom and creative input to how you are presenting the popular music of the day or, or, you know, to these multiple formats that, you know, was coming through and, 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 uh, using Detroit as, as, as the proving grounds, you know, and I, I think it's, important to note i mean we're probably talking about a time before most of us i think you know
1: yeah. i mean <laughs> yeah, me right? this two out of the four yeah <laughs> no, no, this, this is me and tony this is like when our yeah. formative years when we're just okay. learning about
5: okay. music you know? uh, i mean because 85 i was right. seven i was two yeah so, so yeah. Yeah. um so it, so you know with 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 these types of with with those types of formats going on you know like he said there's a uh, he could point to a very particular dj who was blending music together in a particular mm-hmm. way that nobody else was on the radio and he and that was an inspiration for him mm-hmm. you know today you know, not no. to call anybody any particular entity out, but I mean, everything is ran by Clear Channel, right? <laughs> like, yeah. So, when he said syndicated. that, that's what was going to, yeah, right, that's right. what
1: was going through my mind. Is Clear Channel runs the world when it comes to right. radio, and
5: everybody sounds the same. Everybody plays the exact same music uh, at the exact same time with the exact same schedule at the exact same interval, and I mean, all of the exact same, you know, commercials are playing in between.
6: Or realistically, it's the same person that you're hearing in you very know, well could 40 be. different states. Yeah, right. three or four different channels, right. yeah.
1: Especially right. on Saturdays. Ryan
6: Seacrest, right. like yep. we were talking, you know? Right. I, I mean, my buddy Maxwell used to be for WNCI in Columbus. Now mm-hmm. he's syndicated out of New York, but he's, right. I mean, he's everywhere, Right. you know? And it's it's that one personality for all of that, right. not just an individual personality per show that you can get something off of, Right. you know? Yeah, right. where you
1: had specific radio personalities, even within the same city. Yeah. I mean, he, shout
6: out to Ike B because him and um, him and Mojo had 94 or five, the beat night. B had a radio show called the thunderstorm and he was playing. Um, this was a 95, 90, 94, 95, somewhere around there. But it was uh, his Saturday night. His Saturday nights were all old school hip hop and his Monday through Friday was all current hip-hop and R&B, and this was when, like, No Diggity came out, right. and, um, you know, some Heavy D, well. and, and <laughs> yeah, like, all that stuff was, was coming out, and Drew and myself were listening to Ike, like, every day on the radio, and Ike was, he had his show, but there was also a, another jock by the name of Mojo, not a jock as in DJ like we know it, you know, but right. more of a radio, radio personality, personality Yeah. that was just, like, he was super hilarious. He always, always pulled pranks on people and did really cool stuff and memorable stuff, you know, and it was really cool to be able to listen to those type of things and get influences from that. Now it's it's a lost cause, Yeah, man, for sure. I, feel.
0: I also thought it was cool how they talked about Detroit being a test market and that kind of allowing them to experience all these types of sounds and also their... It, when Kevin Saunderson was like, I, you know, there, this idea that I'm supposed to listen to quote black music mm-hmm. just didn't exist. I just wanted to hear stuff. I just wanted to hear good music, right. you know. And you we probably could could have used a lot more of that, especially at that time, because I, I mean that was such a thing. Well, like, and there's I can black direct music, and there's white music, and there's Latino music, and that's just right, it. You know what right. I mean? It's
1: yeah. I can directly relate to that comment because growing up in Southern California at that time, I was part of a program where they bust me to. A different part of town yeah mainly you know where the white kids were and that was the first time i was ever exposed to rock mm-hmm. or anything like that and i remember like people playing like motley Crue and metallica and i'm like what is this stuff you guys are playing it's pretty cool what is it about what age did you say uh this is B 85 8045 time frame so that makes you approximately oh i'm in sixth and seventh grade okay <clears throat> so like moving from i graduated i graduated I finished elementary school, went to middle school. So in California, you go you know, K through six and then seven, eight, and then high school is nine through 12. So seventh and eighth grade, I am moved into this different area of town around people I've never met before, but also in turn exposed to all these different things. And at that time, like I said, you know, uh, hip hop just kicked, or rap hip just kicked off. Uh, that new wave started to kick off. And the tail end of that uh, acid rock and all that stuff was kind of, tailing out and then country was coming a little bit more popular so like musically there was so much going on at that same time where when i was in the city school it was all we were listening to hip-hop and r&b that was it uh soul uh arm uh motown stuff Mm -hmm. you know that sort of thing so then moving completely was like it was really i look back and that was like a pivotal moment in my life (laughs) when it came to music because i was the what black kid or the non-white kid that listened to rock yeah and caught shit (laughs) yeah. You know,
0: so, <laughs> uh, this next clip is uh, Derek May. It's a song called "Nude Photo," and this I believe this was '85. If it also if it was not '85, it's right around there. something very raw raw? yeah sounding about that yeah very like all the the, all the percussion sounds are are like full velocity right they're like everything is like straight out of the sample this is what you get you know i mean like you can hear it just it sounds like experimentation you know what i mean you can hear that in that that it's not refined yet it's it's this unique thing
5: and cohesive and yeah, so, yeah it, it still makes sense as a song yeah.
0: and, and all that stuff but it's like it's different than what we're used to now with all these polished transitions oh, and yeah, yeah. reverbs and all this kind of stuff it's it's, it's kind of neat to see where that all comes from, I think. Well,
1: but, and, but but if you think about it, they were probably maximizing all the processing power they had on whatever computers they were using to do what they just did. If well, they, they were using computers Yeah, they were using
0: yeah. 808s and 909s yeah, okay. and, yeah. and, and synths. Well, you and, can
1: use computers yeah. as a generic term. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure, know?
5: sure. Yeah, and, and I think that's something that, the whole point of technology as we've gotten a lot better at it, you know, moving away from hardware and getting into software and all of those things, you know, as, as all of our technology around music production has gotten better, it's almost as if the whole point was to get away from that raw, you know, to, like you said, make things polished and to, you know, be able to shape sounds and get something that, that sounds, you know, in some cases more, more natural or Hmm. you know things that you have a little bit more control over uh so when you hear yeah yeah, oh yeah definitely but so when you hear stuff like that you know it it, it's almost like jarring if if you if you didn't come up with that as 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 your baseline um for what techno music is and uh, you know, so for those of us who were exposed to it early on, or at least have gone back and done our history lessons <laughs> over the years, you know, it, it, it is, it's a, it's a, it's a stark contrast between what it started out as and what it is today. Yeah,
6: it's the root. Right. Know? Right.
5: And I it's, I, I never and for me, it it like it's super that. impressive. Like I've seen yeah. some of like, you know, uh, uh, not techno-related, but, like, if you go back, uh, there's some videos online of uh, drum and bass producer Aphrodite. Uh, he's uh, He's got some videos out there where, like, it's old screenshots or, you know, video of his uh, DAW, you know, and it's all, like, you know, like, grayscale stuff. It, like, I mean, it, you know, old screens mm-hmm. and things like that. Like, it just... It's nothing like the Abletons and the Fruity Loops and all of those, you know, all that (laughs) stuff that we've got today. It's nothing like that. So, you know, to take even steps back from that, you know, from the 90s and go back into like the mid to late 80s where a lot of this stuff, like computers were just starting to be introduced into all this stuff. So a lot of this was, you know, hardware that was being synced up and sounds that were being manually cut it, or uh, caught from records and, and yeah. field recordings and things like that to, to, to come up with these tracks.
0: Uh, this next clip is from that same inter- that MOCAD interview, and it's Kevin and Derek. They're explaining an early lesson
3: that the three of them learned while they were playing one of their first gigs. Me and Derek were lucky enough to, to get a gig with him, to open up for him at the downstairs pub one night. It's a lesson I will never forget because, I mean, we were still playing 45s on our set, and it was like amateurs, and everybody was like, when is King, when is Kink? Do you King guys know what
2: up? 45s are? Wait, 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 do you guys know what 45s are? Does anybody know what a 45 yeah. is? Is it like an MP3? Can you explain to the person next to you what is a 45? <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, for those of you that are like under the age of 30, I guess, uh, that don't know what a 45 is, it's a 45 RPM single vinyl record that was Seven inches big, and it was, had a big hole in the middle, and you dropped down on the spindle. <laughs> and anyway, played
2: for three minutes.
3: <laughs> so, <laughs> me and him, we were playing with the belt drive turntables. The DJs with, had 12 inches, yeah. we were using 45. We were using some we of the were records. We were beyond amateur. <laughs> Man.
2: We were like a joke.
3: Man, Ken Carrier came in, and he took the rubber slip mats off and put his slip mats on and slapped down that 12 inch. Double Dutch bus. Oh, he remembered the record. And uh, man, it was like me and Derek felt that small after that, man, it was a great lesson.
2: Well, Wait, wait, you forgot a a really important part of it. Nobody was dancing for us. See, he, he made it sound like it was a really good party. Ken came in and made it better. Nobody was dancing for us, period. But we were also playing stuff like Trans Europe Express. We were like, you know, we we were fighting this since we were 14 years old. We've always believed in this thing. You know, Juan said when he was about 16 that he was going to start a record label one day and call it Metroplex. I mean, who says that? Who believes that at 16 years old, when there's nothing that is even part of a reality to grasp on to make that? To to visualize that, to make that, to materialize it, to make it real, because nobody was doing independent record labels back then. It didn't exist. There was only big-time, major independent record labels, but no small, little record label from a guy from the middle of nowhere. And to fight this thing from the age of 16 and 17, and have nobody dancing on the floor, and then to have Mr. Ken Collier, who was a legend at that point, to come in and put on one record and the floor filled up as if somebody dropped thousand dollar bills into the middle of the floor. People just ran into the, you know, just, they were there. It was not just a a lesson that made us small, it was like a moment in time that is to never be forgotten.
0: That was an interesting story. I don't know if the lesson was like a lesson on crowd reading and like picking the right track at the right time, or if, if what they're saying is that they needed to modify their sound and their approach.
5: Right. Yeah. That, that, that the the lesson was a little unclear. It was from, a little vague. It yeah. was a good
0: it was a good story. So I still wanted to play it. Right. And they say they took something from that. Right. But I'm right. I'm kind of like, just kind of guessing. Like, is that okay? Is this a crowd reading thing, or is this like what did they? I wish they would have elaborated on that, and they they yeah. really didn't. But I thought that was a cool Agreed. story
5: because I I I, I don't know. Uh, like I I I I can say with absolute certainty that I've had that exact same experience, where I'm I'm bringing, you know what I what I play to the table, and I'm you know rocking out, but nobody's dancing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you know whoever I'm opening for, or you know whoever the headliner is for that night, and then like okay here is it. I'm passing off the decks, and then. Like, first, you know, the first 32 comes on and and everybody fills up the dance floor. Like, what the hell was this guy doing? (laughs) I wasn't doing right. Like, oh, that guy's just. I got him warmed up for you. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean. You know whether it's it's an exercise and because they were they were making references to the the 45s versus the 12 inches. If the 45s were somehow amateur, you know, so th- I mean maybe that's just
1: something they were amateur to the 12 inch. Yeah, absolutely. I've never seen anybody DJ with 45s.
6: Before. I mean, I I, did. I have. But I really? see it now. Now it's, it's kind a of skating thing. rink, right? Oh. It's skating rink or mobile mobile events like yeah. years and years and years ago. But yeah, the the 45 was very amateur to the 12.
5: Okay. Okay,
6: so yeah. And the I, fact that he took the rubber mats off of the 1200s, because a lot of people don't realize that when they buy the 1200 and you get the thick rub, the rubber, thick rubber mat, mats, yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah. take that off, put your slip mat on, right. you know, that yeah. could have been a lesson in itself right, right. there. Right, agreed. That you yeah. can slip cue a
1: lot easier. And yep. that, and that yep. takes about 10 pounds off the weight of the whole <laughs> right. <put> there. That, <laughs> that is a thick rubber yeah. mat, man.
0: <laughs> this next part of the clip has Kevin Saunderson explaining kind of that musical musical connection that he was able to bridge between his home in Brooklyn
4: and moving to Detroit? I think uh, what Mojo did for me is open my eyes to different styles of music and more electronic music, uh, almost all electronic music. I didn't realize that music could be made uh, with synthesizers and computers and machines at that time. Of course, it was early analog days, but it was still possible. I thought you had to have a complete band to make the music. Even disco back then, it was made by this band. So so he, he, he gave me that vision, and then I was in, uh, influenced by everything that I, I listened to. So even when I started making music, I, I, tried to, I started trying to replicate records I liked, you know, to, to get going, and stuff that I was influenced from.
2: Wait so a minute, man, hold up. Yeah, Sorry, I gotta, yeah. break. You break? gotta stop you. Yeah, You were Chocolate Sensation. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Juan and I did a party at your house. Yeah. Okay, Kevin's mother was out of town. (laughs) Kevin lived in this area called Harmony Lane, and they had a nice house, you know, it's a very nice house, Uh, and we kind of convinced Kevin that we were gonna do a party at the end of the summer in his house, you know, so we put on this party, and uh, we blew his mind. That
4: definitely influenced the hell out of me. I'm gonna tell you. That's when I really realized the connection that I had with New York and 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 the music there and I seen Derek and Juan at this party playing all this music but I was at listening your party. to party yeah at, at my party but I was listening to Mojo through that time period though All so, of this happened while our mothers were away or right. sleeping So so that yeah that was a that was a big impact and I, at that point I still didn't have a vision about me wanting to be a DJ or make music. I was, as far as I was concerned, I was gonna play football and I was going to the NFL. So it, it happened a year later after that after that party. So Kevin
0: will elaborate a little bit in the next clip that I'll play about that kind of being stuck in the middle between New York and Detroit. But uh, you know, I thought it was cool that he he talked about how you know the the radio DJ kind of opened his eyes up to like all different kinds of music and then like it kind of made him aware that the like electronic music was okay like it was an actual real thing <laughs> you right. know, like music could be made with synthesizers and, and without toys real, and without electronics the yeah, and yeah. Uh, I want to go ahead and play uh, before we finish that clip out I want to go ahead and play this song it's by Inner City which is Kevin Sanderson uh, with a vocalist uh, named Paris Gray and the song's called Big Fun Hmm. Classic.
4: of doing vocals and dealing with melodies, it was quite different than Derrick and Wine, just probably because I was from New York. So I, my first record was a vocal record. So I had this kind of mixed breed of melodies versus techno and how minimal I was going to be in my music and how much melody I wanted in my music and songs too. So I was always kind of caught in the middle of that with these guys because they, they
2: really wasn't about that. You know, I was, quite a, I was kind of an outcast when it came to that. I think it was a good, I think it was a good, we, we complimented each other quite well because Juan was, Juan was black coffee, I'd be coffee with milk and Kevin was a cappuccino, you know? And that's the way I look at it because you just got it straight with Juan, that's, that's, the, that's the real deal. And I twisted it and made it more for the dance floor thing or whatever and Kevin just totally took it and brought it to the radio. He brought it to women, he brought it to, to, to everybody at the same time. He still cared very much about the about the about the dance floor. Oh
4: yeah, definitely, because it was always still four on the floor. Even if you listened to Juan's earlier records, it was no four on the floor. And that's where I think me and Derek came in, and how the creation obviously it started with Juan, and then there's the history with Derek, and then you know my history with New York and disco, and then the four on the floor. We made it more dance accessible to 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 the world, you know.
0: I thought it was cool that they pointed out how they got together and then found out what their strengths were and how Mm -hmm. they could complement each other. And then they just doubled down on that.
5: So often we look for other people and that have the same like interest or the same skill set, like, you know what I mean? Like it's hard to look at somebody else and find those differences and you know, how can I compliment you? How can you compliment me? And how can we bring this thing together to, you know, come to, you know, some cohesive offering uh, that is still different yet, you know, but the same, you know. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, when when, you know, to have a chance, you know trio like that where everybody's got their own take on all of this stuff but then here we are how many years later how many decades later and it's still the foundation for an entire genre of music
0: absolutely and you know being creative types and cramming them into a room and experimenting and trying to figure this out and having sort of different Sort of different backgrounds and visions for what they wanted to do with music. It's actually kind of amazing that they stuck that through worked. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah because that they I didn't choke like, each
5: other out, right? Like.
0: You <laughs> you'd think it would be like the like the typical band dynamic where you right know, you just break up and get together and get a new guy and this yeah. guy's out and yeah. you know the whole thing. But right, man, they've been they've been at it for for a hot minute. I would say <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Um, and they talked about you know taking some of Juan's early tracks, which. He didn't have the the four on the floor sound. He didn't have the oots, oots, oots. And they took that and added that to that sound and made it a little more dance floor accessible. And so I wanted to go ahead and play an early track. Actually, it's Juan Atkins. Uh, He teamed up with a guy named Rick Davis and formed a group called Cybertron. And this is from Cybertron. It's a track called Clear.
3: Ready? One, two, three, four.
0: So that, yeah. So that track came out in '83. <laughs> yeah, Roller Jams, like you yep. said, mm-hmm. while yep. we're listening. Yeah. Uh, that came out in '83, and you'll notice it ha- it lacked that four to the floor. It's still that early, that electro electro breakbeat. broken beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I want to play a new clip. Go onto a new interview with. Uh, it was actually put together by DJ Mag in uh, a little bit earlier this year. But before we move on to that, I do want to go ahead and point out that we do offer After Party, our monthly bonus episode for (sighs) Patreon subscribers. Hit up patreon.com forward slash passionate DJ and you can get access to at least an hour worth of monthly bonus content of the Passionate DJ podcast for those of you who just can't get enough. (laughs) All right, this next clip, like I said, is from DJ Mag. And it's Juan Atkins. He explains how they may have accidentally, actually, helped spark the growth of Chicago House.
7: Hmm.
3: Hmm. One time, Derek couldn't pay his rent, so he had to he had to sell this, this nine, one of these 909 mm-hmm. drum machines to be able to get money to pay the rent. So Jeff Mills was in the market for for trying to get one of these drum machines because we had used this drum machine as a secret weapon in a DJ battle. Mm-hmm. To uh, to uh, there was deep space versus direct drive, and what our advantage was, we were we had we knew about these this music gear. You know this was early. Nobody, you know, I had an 808. I had like probably the first 808 tr 808 drum machine to come off the off the press in America. And so we took this TR-808 drum machine to the party and played rhythm beats on it and it just blew the crowd away <laughs> and we won the competition hands down. So of course any other, other DJs that were that was checking us out wanted to incorporate this drum machine in mm-hmm. their show. So Jeff Mills was one of the guys who who wanted to, to buy this 909 and I told Derek, I said, Derek you can't sell it to Jeff because that's our crosstown competition. Deadly rival. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Friendly rival. Friendly rival. But, but, um, so he took it to Chicago to sell it, because his parents had moved to Chicago, so he was going back and forth to Chicago, and he had got friends with the mm-hmm. hot mix, DJ, and imports and set. He took this drum machine and sold it to Frankie Knuckles, and his protege was Chip E. Frankie and Chip E. took this nine on that and made, like, like this, and some of those early Ooh. Chicago house records, and it kind of like it was like uh, sort of uh, one of the things that kind of the catalyst that kind of like made Chicago kind of kind of uh, kind of uh, permeate.
6: Did you kind of um,
5: make a decision at the time with your music to not, not definitely not go down a kind of song route, like you could say house is a bit more song based or whatever? You want the only. Yeah, the thing, the thing, no, right? the,
3: see the this is the this is the thing about uh, about house music versus techno um, was that uh, see the thing about Chicago was when you had when when you had the disco era going, like all of the radio stations had changed formats to be disco stations. Mm. But then 82, 83 rolled around and they they killed the format. But Chicago held on to it. And 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 so when every other radio station in the country stopped doing disco and disco's dead, Chicago's still going strong. Mm. You know? And and so um, so but the, the thing is is that the only the only disco type music at this time was like Philly International. Philly Philly yeah. International Records. And it was to me their their records were emulating this mm. past style, and and that was the only thing that was like okay, the, you know our stuff was looking forward, mm. and they were to me looking backward. Mm.
0: I thought it was kind of funny. Like as as soon as the the interviewer started saying something about house being a little more soulful or whatever and then, like, he didn't even let him finish his sentence. He said, like, well, yeah, think about on. that. <laughs> <laughs> he was quick to jump in there. Um, I thought this was a, a really cool story because I knew that that Chicago house had its origins in disco, and right. adding like drum beats to that, and right. like mixing on top of that, and doing the whole thing, and that Frankie Knuckles was very involved with that. Mm-hmm. But I had no idea that there was this backstory where like the drum machines were coming from <laughs> Detroit <laughs> via Jeff Mills. You know, I just yeah. thought that was kind of neat. Try to pay rent with a trying to yeah, Derek May can't <laughs> pay rent.
1: Yeah, you go with that eight hundred eight son?
7: <laughs> right.
0: Uh, this next clip is. Uh, Derek May created another iconic track. It was called Strings of Life. And in this clip, you'll hear the music and him kind of talking over it, explaining the, uh, the origins of this track. This was from a 2006 interview that was put together by a YouTuber. He was under the account Matthew Norman. That's all I know. And by the way, we'll have links to all these interviews in the show notes as
8: well. Let me tell you. i tell you the story of strings. A friend of mine had come to my home, uh, and this was years and years ago, and he wanted to record some music just for his own personal. So he played a piano aspect into the, my sequencer, and he sat there for over a year. Uh, I had went through one day my sequences, and I ran across this one particular sequence, and it was like an eight-minute-long sequence, quite a long one. So as I'm listening to it, there's like a part about three and a half to four minutes into it that comes up, and it just goes, you know, dun 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 dun, and I said, hold it, and I sped up the tempo and I let it run for I don't know, one maybe an hour or so, just over and over again, and then eventually uh, I just sort of. I, just, I remember going on. I just remember setting up my my keyboard and I just sat it for a second and I just went DO and oh uh, something hit oh well we got something here. So then I just did that a few more times and relaxed on it and, and then just let it play some more for for like another hour or two and then the orchestration. I played that and I said, "Uh, we got something and I just listened to it and listened to it and listened to it and I got, the more I listened to it, the more frightened I got, the more scared I got because I knew I had done something I had never done before. I knew I had done something that scared me. So it was an accident. The accident is that it happened, you know? And of course the other parts came later, all the, all the, all the other breakdowns and the, the chord lines and progressions, it all came later. But it was a, it was a, uh, it was the, the mistake is that I did it to begin with, you know? That was the mistake.
0: trip turlington can you relate to that uh, getting stuck in the eight bar loop for <laughs> oh, hours and yes. hours and hours yes yeah. and, and, and you know
5: but like there was also something that he said there where uh when you know you've got something mm-hmm. and that that's the whole thing like when 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 you get in that zone and and it and and it is it it, it can be intimidating he i think he used the word scared but like like it, it can, it can be very intimidating because then it's like, Oh, you know, now I've got this thing. Suddenly it's this baby that you want to coddle. <sighs> right. Yeah. Right. And I want to develop it and I want to, you know, I, but like, you know, what if I take it in the wrong direction or what if I, what if I screw it up down the line? And, and so yeah, you, you can, start
0: failing in your head before you're even, before you even <laughs> ready to. Yeah.
5: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I, I, I totally, uh, related to that. Even, Though I, I, I've created nothing nearly as iconic. <laughs> <laughs> Yet. Uh, this final clip comes from
0: uh, Signed Media, and this is Kevin Saunderson again. He explains kind of how he's not really sure how much, quote-unquote, Detroit music is actually produced in Detroit, Hmm. which I thought was an interesting clip, so I'm going to play that here.
4: The music of Detroit... I'm not sure how much is actually from the city, because when I think about it, myself, Juan, and Derek, we lived in the suburbs. We didn't actually live in the city, of the heart of the city. Now, Derek definitely lived there, and Juan at a certain point. But when I became to know them, we all lived in Belleville, which was definitely no city. It was a very green uh, countryside, with dirt roads and lakes, so... um, That's what it was. So, I can't really speak for Derrick and Wine. The city had no influence on my music because I only went to the city once or twice before I even made music and it was very sporadic. The the people are around and the fact that I traveled back and forth to New York and my inspirations led me into the path of music and just That's how it came out for me. You
0: know, there used to be this assumption that you had to be from or in a major city to to do anything, to get anywhere, to make anything of yourself when it comes to the arts or music or acting or or anything like that. And I, I, I think that's gotten that's kind of changed over time. And I think you know, the the kids already know this. Like they they're not really they don't feel that same thing right. i don't think right. to where it's like oh i need to move to new york or or In to, order to, make it big, to yeah, yeah to to follow my dream i mean some people do yeah people still go to hollywood you sure. know, to to become an actor I think, actress but
5: I, I think the internet uh, you know has helped with yeah. that it's helped make the world smaller so
0: but i i think even maybe people you know you know, our age or older probably still have that mentality in their head, even sure. if even if it's subconscious. You yeah. know, and I, that was why I wanted to play this clip because, like, even back you, in the eighties, you have to go to the big city. Yeah, yeah. E- even way back in the eighties, when when this would have still been a big deal. You know, they're like, yeah, we were thirty miles out. We weren't in, right. in the city, you Dirt know, and, roads
5: and rural, uh, <laughs> yeah. countryside. Yeah. And I mean, I can
0: I can relate to that a little bit, even just with here in Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. You know, I I live out in Fairborn, right. You know, I claim Dayton all the time, but it's not really Dayton, you
5: right. know, but it's Dayton. Yeah.
0: You know, and I, I
5: grew up in a you know a, a very small rural ish town called Lebanon. You know, and, yeah. and it's a lot bigger now than it was when I lived there. But I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, by the time I moved to another city, the, the, uh, the graduating class that I was in was the size of the entire school that I had moved from, you know, so like, you know, uh, so the, the town that I grew up in was, was very much like that, you know? Uh, plenty of dirt roads and you know countryside and uh hills and woods and rivers and you know all that good stuff so um but you know like you had mentioned like but you know music wasn't even a thing to me at that point in my life other than you know something to consume uh but yeah i mean everything was around oh well yeah of course all of the rock bands and all the rock stars they all live in los angeles and right Mm -hmm. you know all the fashion people are in new york and stuff like that so it
0: it becomes like the self-defeating thing right well i don't i don't live in those places so i just can't i can't participate yeah right right,
6: right. (laughs) yeah
0: yeah these these guys are proof that that's just not true
6: even back then (laughs) right absolutely absolutely um, one thing that I do kinda wanna I wanna touch on and, and it's not really not touching on it, but um I wanna put a clip from YouTube when we had the control tour here in the city. Uh, and okay. Kevin Saunderson and Richie Houghton and all of them were here mm-hmm. and we had the we had the conference at U D yep. and they it was a panel, it was Kevin Saunderson, uh, Ian Golden, Richie Houghton and Geyser. Wow. And they were actually talking about the Bellville three talks about the Bellville three and how um how 75 how richie used to come over here for some of his first gigs outside of detroit and kevin was on that part of that leg of the tour with him and they kind of talk about that so i didn't realize dropping.
0: that you had that audio still
6: oh yeah it's on you it's on youtube is it yeah or the, one of richie's you, recap videos you're i believe you're in yeah it. I'm, i should be you're in it i'm in it yeah a few
0: of us are in it oh cool mm-hmm. very cool yeah we'll grab that drop the audio in here do we want to link the,
6: the actual video however
9: you want to do it it's completely up to you we're back on my original stomping grounds in Midwest United States. We started this week on Monday in Detroit. You know, the birthplace of, of techno to many people and the birthplace of, of, of my career just across the water from, from Windsor, Ontario. At the lecture, we were joined by Carl Craig and Seth Troxler, along with Dice, Ian Golden, and had a continuing discussion about where we are going with electronic music beyond EDM. Now we had, a, I think, a lot of storytelling you know, because we were in Detroit, there was a lot of local people there. And, you know, such it's such a big part of the foundation of electronic music within that city and that local area. So it was a, it was a nice homecoming. The gig that night was produced by Paxahau, who do the Movement Festival in Detroit, one of the premier electronic music festivals in all of North America. Actually, this night was really special because DICE ended off with a classic record called Lemon 8 and usually I leave one of my records to the end and it's maybe the first time I've done this maybe ever I started my set with spastic and from there it went into craziness After Detroit, we got straight on the bus and drove seven hours south down into Illinois to the University of Illinois in Urbana. There we were with about 50 students who were, and they were really like on the edge of their seats listening to us. You know, I had a lot of energy that day and was really, really inspiring. After that, back up, kind of a strange routing, but back up to Ann Arbor just outside of Detroit. And we did the lecture and the gig at the same place, at the NECTO. When I was listening to Jeff Mills on the radio, when I was 17 to 18, they had this advertisements, Jeff Mills, the wizard, live at the Nectarine Ballroom. But it was just a bit too far for me. I never made it. So to come back and actually be talking there, was, um, it was like you were nearly standing on the actual foundation of electronic music from the area. We had a special guest join us for the first time that evening, Kevin Sonerson. And uh, yeah, you know, I grew up listening to Kevin and Derek and all these guys, and he started that lecture off telling a story about him hanging and meeting Derek and Juan Atkins you know when they were like in 7th grade you know like how far like you know we talk about on the panels about looking around you you know touching out reaching to your friends to support your ideas and go forward together and there was the, that that the real story of how the Belleville three the original techno guys started hanging out in seventh or eighth grade and where did they go? Look, they—they they why are we here? Because of them. And then after the Detroit, back down I-94, the highway that I was always driving when I was 19 or 20, doing some of my first gigs, you know, getting paid $250, whatever it was. I didn't care where I went. I didn't care what I was going to be, being paid. I just wanted to play music for people. And Dayton, they always brought me down. Dayton, Cincinnati, this whole area. Dayton, Ohio again. First time in maybe 20 years. Incredible club. Man, it had a Function One sound system packed on a Thursday night. People freaking out. Kevin Zodderson playing amazing techno. John Geiser joined us, you know, playing his funkiness. That was a, a wonderful night. the lecture was also very small and intimate. We were really close to the people. And uh, was it was really strange though, we said, okay, who has questions? No questions. I think the people were so like engaged with us, they, they, they were hardly breathing. I really felt that as I watched people leave, you could see their eyes and their, their heads dreaming. Dreaming of the possibilities of electronic music, dreaming of a possible career in electronic music. And going home to discover and and search and find a deeper connection. That's why we're here. Control. We're continuing. You know, it's uh, an incredible journey, and we're not finished yet.
0: Alright folks, well that's pretty much going to wrap up our little celebration of the Belleville 3 here. I'm going to outro with one last track but I do want to uh, remind you guys to uh, A, join our Instagram page because that's my favorite and I like posting on there so go join <laughs> it. Instagram.com. Yeah, and everything's
1: actually green now so we can have some <laughs> lovely pictures outside. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and also it gives you an opportunity to keep track on uh, the construction of the studio that Dave's putting together. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, That's uh, at Passionate DJ is the username on that. And one last thing, please don't forget to leave us your ratings and reviews anywhere that you listen to us or follow us. That would be, you know, uh, Apple Podcasts or... Uh, facebook reviews anywhere that you can leave a review or give us stars anything like that that always helps to put us in front of more eyes and ears so we really appreciate that we also really value your feedback we do read them we do take them to heart so please go and leave us a review we would really appreciate it happy techno happy techno happy techno and this has been the passionate dj podcast we are going to send you out with inner city this song is called good life take care
10: Let me take you to a place I know you wanna go. It's a good life. Hey, hey, yeah. I don't wanna stand around.